Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins pod show. I am thrilled that you found me, but more importantly, I am thrilled that you found Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we will unleash discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter to transform. So I hope that you'll consider joining me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, friends will delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you do have a question for me, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Once again, that's pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Well, welcome back, everybody, for day two of our discussion on grace and redemption. And you know, yesterday we discussed that every person on our planet is unique to God. And although we're made in the image and likeness of his son, Jesus, we all are our individual selves. No one person has an exact set of fingerprints, and we have a responsibility to unwrap all that God has given us for our life. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we're reminded that it is more blessed to give than to receive. But let me stop and ask you a question now. Have you ever given a gift back to someone or told someone, no, don't buy me anything, that's okay? Well, it's really paradoxical when we do that. It just, it seems noble. It seems like we're being humble to decline a gift from another. But in reality, we're doing them a grave injustice by not allowing the other person to experience the joy in giving. And there is joy in giving to other people. God put us on the planet to serve and to give and to love. So I just to remind you, next time someone wants to give you a gift, Open up your arms and freely accept it. So looking at the two different formulas for the Old Testament living versus New Testament, we explored the law versus grace. And grace says, I have blessed you, therefore, there's the key word, therefore be good. But here by being good, we follow God's word and we obey it to the best of our ability. It's not a license for us to go out to sin. On the other hand, the formula for the law said, if you will do good, do good, there's the word there, I will bless you. So do you see that clear distinction between the law and grace? Grace allows for mercy to come into our lives, whereas the law was an absolute. And with the Ten Commandments that God originally gave, no one was able to keep the law. Had they, If they broke just one, they can, he considered all of them broken. It was only a guide to guide his people towards him to see how far removed from him they were because of sin, whereas Jesus came and gave grace and mercy and forgiveness. So we looked at righteousness also, and righteousness simply means being approved by God. As God's children, we are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did for us at the cross of Calvary. It has nothing to do with our 
being at all. It's 100% Jesus. And oftentimes people have a misperception surrounding Jesus. It's often thought that he performed his ministry in and among the religious elite of the day. That is simply not true. Jesus wanted to mingle, get dirty, and really uncover the needs of sinners and the sick, the people who needed him the most and would also be responsive to his offer of help. And people who were considered immoral, lepers, the blind, demon-possessed people, and even an enemy of Jesus who was Saul of Tarsus, who later, after the conversion on the Damascus Road, became Paul. These were the people he went out of his way to minister to. And we reviewed Psalm 23 in depth and the fact that Jesus is our good shepherd. We can lean into him for everything and he will guide us. And Exodus 14, 14, the Lord fights for us and we shall keep our peace. And as part of spiritual warfare, we're given the word of God in the form of a sword. When we yield this sword against Satan, he flees. Every verse spoken aloud over our situations is a weapon in the fight. And individual verses are called rhema, and the whole or the entire Bible is called logos. And God gives us his word to stand upon as we fight on knowing he never has lost a battle he's invited to participate in. And all of humanity is called to believe, repent, and be saved. And this general call is the outward call to all men. And John the Baptist, who was Jesus' forerunner for the gospel, said to the religious leaders who came to his baptism, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, prove that you've repented by your good works. You've turned away from the times that you've missed the mark. So we need to believe in Jesus. And when we do, it's evident because our internal evidence of our heart is what shows true conversion. And the very first book in the Bible is listed as Genesis. It's speculated the first book written actually was Job. However, we see in the first book that we're presented with Moses, and Moses is working through the story of creation, of sin, salvation, sanctification, which just simply means being made holy, and eternity with God. With this information, it's easily suggestible that the entire Bible is a book about man's redemption and Jesus's grace. And we've heard people say to take up your cross daily, but what exactly are people telling us to do? What does that mean? Well, it's a reference to Jesus saying, put away our wants and needs and focus upon what really matters in the world. And that is the word of God. Lastly, we began to look at Jesus's betrayal from one of the original 12 disciples who sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. That was nothing. That was the equivalence of buying a slave or a bondservant. And Jesus often called himself a bondservant as he came to serve and not be served. But here we must remember that without the betrayal of Judas Iscariot, we would not have eternal life as we know it today. It had to happen. And while God 
didn't put the plan together in this way. He allowed it to unfold and be orchestrated because he is the one who works all things, and that is all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose for them. And that is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Well, now we're caught up on yesterday. Let's continue on today with Peter and John, who had prepared the Passover meal for Jesus and the disciples. They entered into a house with a guest room in the upper room. It was the ideal location for the Passover meal and exactly as Jesus had foretold it to his disciples. So this is the spot where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as described earlier. As he sat down with them, he said with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And it was after this meal that Jesus knows that his disciples will abandon him. Luke chapter 22 verse 22 says, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives, which was his custom, and prayed for his disciples to not enter into temptation. He then went on to pray to his Father, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. An angel appeared to him from heaven, providing him with strength. As he continued to pray, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This had to have been the most stress-induced moment he had ever experienced. Sweat and blood mixing together form a condition called hematotrosis, which is a medical condition causing one's sweat to mix with blood. The sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels that can constrict and dilate, thus rupturing. When he rose up from prayer and found his disciples fast asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. While Jesus was still speaking, a great multitude surrounded him, including Judas. Jesus said to Judas, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The chief priests, scribes, and elders had come out against Jesus, as this was their hour and the power of darkness. Peter's first denial of Jesus came next as a young servant girl around the fire said, That man was also with him. Peter said, Woman, I don't know him. And another said, You also are of them. Peter replied, Man, I am not. And finally, a third time, another confidently identified him, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. Three denials before the rooster crowed, just as Christ had predicted. Then the rooster crowed. Peter wept bitterly for his betrayal. The man he loved, who moments earlier said he would go to prison or death for, he denied even knowing him for fear of the unknown. Scripture reminds us to fear not. Be strong, be courageous, and in hundreds of verses, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. Then Sanhedrin came up with three charges against Jesus because they feared he would impact Rome. 
leading the nation of Israel into conflict, forbidding taxes to be paid by the people to Rome, which was just an emboldened lie. He had told the religious zealots to render to Caesar what was due Caesar, calling himself the Messiah. The Sanhedrin turned Jesus over to Pontius Pilate, who tells the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were fiercer, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Jesus is turned over to Herod next. He was questioned with many words, but he answered him nothing. The Sanhedrin were desperate to have Jesus killed. They offered up an exchange of a known felon and murderer in lieu of Jesus, whose charges were minor in comparison. The crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate had declared Jesus's innocence three different times at this point. Now Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers placed a crown of thorns upon his head along with a purple robe. Jesus was led away carrying the vertical portion of his cross, a great magnitude including Mary, James's mother, Mary Magdalene, John, arguably the disciple he loved, and women followed him. He didn't have any women enemies and his crucifixion and resurrection would help elevate women. Jesus still preached to people as he traveled to his imminent death. Two criminals would hang on each side of him who would also be put to death. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is absolute forgiveness. Our father understood what was needed in that moment. And Christ put love into action by praying this prayer. After this, the soldiers divided up his garments, casting lots for them. Amazingly, the rulers looked on, sneering and mocking him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers offered him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. This may have been done to continue mocking him. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 38, an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. It says, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging blasphemed him, saying, If you are Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a great ending to express man's redemption when one places their faith in Christ. The criminal didn't have to do any works to earn his way into paradise. He only needed to believe and be saved by Jesus. Now darkness covered the entire earth from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn into two. But notice from the sixth until the ninth hour, there is always a set time to suffering. God will put an end to people's suffering. So if you're suffering today, friends, with anything, know that God will step in and he will place an end to it no matter how dark or how evil the situation seems. 
Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. And the significance of the veil tearing into two separates the Old Covenant Testament from the New Covenant Testament. Before, only the priests could come into God's presence. Now all could enter in. A man named Joseph of Arimathea did not agree to the decision or deed of his fellow council members. He asked Pontius Pilate for Jesus's body. Then he took down his body, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock where no one had ever lain before. And Mary Magdalene returned to Jesus's tomb to minister to his dead body with spices and herbs. And it's been recorded Mary had been delivered from seven demons by Jesus. Mary was not a prostitute, as as some have suggested. She gets her surname from the town in which she was born. And the first person that resurrected, the resurrected Christ appeared to was Mary Magdalene. He bypassed the religious leaders, his apostles, the rich, and he appeared to a woman with a demonic past. How like Jesus is this? And Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women were with them and were at the tomb. And Mary may have been an apostle to the apostles. She was shown to have had privilege after the seven demons were eradicated from her. Now the stone was rolled away from the tomb and the body of Jesus was gone. Two men stood by with shiny garments. They asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. These were angels who resembled the transfiguration of Jesus. They were there to remind the women of Jesus's words he taught them. The resurrected Jesus set out on the road to Emmaus with two fellow travelers. He wanted to know why these two men were sad. They said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? What things? They recounted all that had happened. Christ reminded them of what the prophets had spoken earlier about his need for suffering and then to enter into his glory. These two disciples asked him to eat with them. He sat at the table with them and broke bread, blessed it and broke it again, giving it to them. Then they recognized him and he vanished. This was Christ's modus operandi when blessing and praying over food. His history showed he would always bless and break bread. Over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus. 500 people. So, you know, that just adds so much credibility to this account. All were of significance, but most significant was the Apostle Thomas. Jesus stood amongst them all saying, peace to you. But doubting Thomas had to physically feel the wound marks on Christ's body before he believed the resurrected Jesus was really in his presence. The Lord said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The apostles gave Jesus some honeycomb and fish to cast out any more doubts. It wasn't a ghost they were witnessing, but truly the resurrected Christ. He opened the scriptures and pointed out that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning him. 
Christ had to open the spiritual mind of the disciples to ensure their understanding. Only God can provide this level of comprehension to us. And Jesus ascends into heaven after leading the apostles as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While blessing them, he parted from them into heaven. And Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled when Christ died on the cross and was resurrected. The honorable silence was the loudness needed in that moment. Christ was in human form on the earth for 33 years. The last three were in the form of an active ministry. His younger years were said to be normal. At the age of 12, his parents found him answering religious leaders' questions in the synagogue. When he came to earth, he did give up his omniscient or all-knowing, his omnipotent or all-powerful, and omnipresence, all-present, his deity, which he enjoyed as God. And many catchphrases have been created over time to remind us to be mindful of what Christ would do in any given situation. They're not meant to be slogans without a cause. The purpose is deeper, reminding followers of Christ to be cognizant of fearing the Lord in all of their decision-making efforts. This ensures blessings rather than repentance. God allowing... God's allowing of Jesus' crucifixion was the most extraordinary gift he could give to humanity. The human race entered into the world with a sin consciousness, but because of Jesus' transactional, substitutionary sacrifice at the cross, all sin was forgiven permanently, not just for one day, only to repent again. Sin was permanently removed as far as the east is from the west. God just doesn't remember his children's sin any longer after they repent because of his mercy and grace. The cross is a reminder to kneel in prayer before we stand. No one is first at the foot of the cross. We are all on equal footing. And it's been said more wars and battles are fought and won on a man's knees. God never asked us for perfection, just progress as we develop through the stages of being a Christian. We start off needing milk as infantile Christians and we move to meat. Then we enter the toddler stage followed by the adolescent stage early adulthood, and then we settle into the maturation process and realize even more blessings and more of God's promises. But by following the word of God at this point, we'll see more of our spirit producing good fruits. The word encompasses thousands of promises and blessings, and we activate these blessings by being in his will. And the best way to recognize if you're functioning in God's will is to do what you love while serving others. And Jesus always had a servant mentality. A rule of thumb is to ask God daily, how can I serve for you today? How can I be your hands and feet? And since we have the mercy and grace of God all of the time within our spirit, then we have God's grace forevermore. When we let go of our past and accept that there is no condemnation in Christ, our reality shifts upon the present. And believers are saved by grace so that we can serve by grace. 
Paul was one of the first century's greatest enemies when he was Saul of Tarsus. His conversion made him one of Christianity's greatest missionaries. The abundance of grace through Christ surpasses the quantity of Adam's sin. It's never possible to out-sin God's grace. Grace's true purpose is to change the inner desire of a man to willing holiness prompted by spirit-enabled gratitude. And the lotus flower mirrors many religious traditions. In Christianity, the circle of life is represented. Life, death, and resurrection or rebirth. A lotus flower roots can reach up to six feet deep similar to sowing and reaping their seeds, can live a long time, being resurrected after dormancy. After three days of immersion in the muddy water, the lotus flower blooms. It set its petals open as our souls open. Similar to God's creations, the lotus flower comes in many spectrums of color, and all of humanity is artfully recognized. Each color has meaning, and different cultures have assigned meaning and significance dependent upon the hue. Overall, the lotus flower symbolizes creation. It is a rising above despite the challenges and moving toward the light of wisdom. And at night, the flower disappears and reemerges at the first dawn of the morning. And many people request tattoos of the lotus flower for the meaning rising above temptation and rebirth. As many different lotus flowers exist, many types of people present themselves to us. Jesus encountered 10 lepers of special interest is how the encounter had the most impact upon the least religious of all 10 of those lepers. So here the story is, 10 cleansed leopards. Jesus went to Jerusalem, passing through Samaria and Galilee. He met with 10 lepers, one of which was a Samaritan man, which was considered at the time a foreigner. The other nine were all Jewish. And the instructions given by Jesus was to go and show themselves to the priest. They were healed because they obeyed his directions. Afterward, the only man to return and thank Jesus for his mercy and his healing was the one who knew the very least about him. He was the most grateful, the most thankful. He was the Samaritan, the one other people despised. And yet the most religious people do not always see life's graces and remember to say thank you. So that's a great reminder and lesson for all of us. At times, Christ will give us visions to further his kingdom work. And many people experience these, not just a select few. Visions are not relegated for men of the cloth, so to say, speak. He had given visions to people, commissioning them to create beautiful paintings or pictures of him. What is the most interesting about this is that the expressed essence which radiates from the creation. When Jesus backs a project, it will be successful. And often people argue with Christ, like Moses, debating about their ability to fulfill his request. What we must recall is that he is the one who powers us. It's never our ability. Aaron became Moses' mouthpiece. It's always about the commissioned peace and message of our Lord. Like a fishing rod, souls are cast into darkness. 
fishing for expansion of light. The more developed a soul, the further it can be cast from shore. And sometimes the people closest to us do not recognize the illumination until it's reflected back upon them. A holy moment with Christ is never absent. The stars will glisten all the more. In Hebrews, God's word tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find love to help in time of need. And as a believer, we need not fear being turned away from God's throne due to God's omniscience. He knows all we will ever ask before we make the request. There's never a need to neglect or fleece any request. Mercy is granted rather than justice for the past, and extravagant grace is given for the future. And friends, I would just challenge you to go and look up 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, and see exactly what scripture teaches about how Jesus and God, how they use the weak of the world to confound the wise, the wise in their own eyes, the powerful, and just meditate on that verse and just realize that our ways are not God's ways. So I'm hopeful that you've enjoyed learning more about biblical grace and redemption over these past two days. We all must remember to be like the lotus flower and rise above any of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And as we move toward the light of wisdom, let us all be bright lights shining for Jesus. And just one final thought to tuck away in our heart from when you might need it. Mercy is granted rather than justice for the past, and extravagant grace is given for the future. So friends, I hope that you'll consider coming back tomorrow as we're going to explore reaping and sowing and how to apply this agricultural concept to all of life, because we all start from seed. And so, friends, today, if you want to experience an intimate, personal relationship with God's Son, Jesus, and spend eternity in heaven, I invite you to pray this prayer of salvation now. God, I've missed the mark in the past, but I'm turning away from my sins. Come into my heart. I believe in your Son, Jesus' shed blood for all who acknowledge that He took on the sins of humanity at the cross of Calvary. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were spiritually born again. Your next steps are to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. After, consider joining a good Bible-based church where your faith in Jesus can continue to grow and be edified by like-minded people. And allow me to be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk show airs on Wednesdays when we're not in the middle of a series. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus' unlimited power in our present-day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, love in action, biblical wisdom, and what the Word of God says about trust, 
and many more topics. I hope that you'll come alongside me as we explore the Bible together. And if you like this podcast, make sure to hit like and subscribe to ensure that you get the latest episodes as they become available. And why don't you consider being a blessing to someone else today by sharing this podcast link with them? Much of today's show referenced the book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring, you may want to consider reading it in its entirety. And you can easily pick up a copy from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com, or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. And if you're unable to afford a copy, friends, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. And until next time, be blessed and remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus forever. And Revelation chapter 22 verse 21 shares the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. So friends, until next time, God bless you and have a wonderful rest of your week. And I hope to see you back tomorrow.